Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing to be able to call You our Father. We thank You that You love us, that You know our frame, that it is as but dust, and as a father pities his child, so you pity us. It is amazing that you put up with sinners such as we are. And if your word did not teach accordingly, we would find it hard to believe, even impossible to believe that a righteous and a holy God would allow sinners into your presence and that you would continue to show mercy and grace unto us. It seems like that our hearts would be far more appreciative than what they are. I really look forward to the day when this sinful body will be laid aside or changed. And I, my worship and obedience and devotion to you will not be hindered. Yes, we know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like Him, that is, like your darling Son, and we shall see Him as He is. Somewhere in paradise, in glory, our Lord Jesus Christ abides in that glorified body. Whether it be in the north or whatever other direction, though some of the verses seem to indicate that it might be directionally north. But wherever it is, we thank you that someday we will be tabernacled with him. And we shall see you in full radiance and splendor. Until then, we ask that you would keep us by your grace and power, in Jesus' name, Amen. As we continue looking at uh, here in Galatians, we want to take up right now basically verses 8 through 11, which I've called the contrast, that is the contrast of, of grace and and not being in grace, but anyway, I read verses 8 through 11. How be it then, 
When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, I really like that. You know, in other words, the whole world says that we must know God. But Paul kind of puts an interjection there. Yeah, God knows us first. You know, I just like the way that's put. Anyway, verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. There are only two lifestyles regarding individuals. You are either those that know God or you're either of those that do not know God. You either know Him or you don't. And until the Lord instills divine life in the heart and soul of an individual, he does not know God. Notice what he says there in verse 8. Howbeit then when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Religious service prior to regeneration is in reality service unto them which are by nature no gods. This clearly testifies that unless one knowingly serves Jehovah, the true God of heaven and earth, he is not worshiping God. He may worship a God, but he's not worshiping the God. I want us to take the time to look at a few passages here. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Excuse me, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Read verse 19 and 20. What say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idol is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrificed, or sacrificed, they sacrificed to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping the devil. There's no middle ground. 
There's no gray area. If you're not worshiping God according to the truth of the Scriptures, then you're not worshiping the true God of heaven and earth. The idea that the old Indian that was seeking the great white father, the idea that uh, people that are worshiping the Shinto God of Japan or the Hindu gods of India or uh, the Mohammedan God or whatever God there is other than Jehovah, the idea that those people are working their way in their many ways to heaven is contrary to Scripture. You know, Billy Graham said years and years ago, God, there's many ways to heaven. Well, that's contrary to Scripture. There are no, there are not many ways to heaven. There's only one name whereby men must be saved, according to Acts 4.12. There's only one way, there's, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're worshiping Hinduism or Buddhism or uh, Mahatma Gandhi or ML King or uh, it, it doesn't matter who you're worshiping. You know, at one time ML King they likened him to Moses. Well, uh, even if you worship Moses, that's no good. You must worship the, the true God of heaven and earth. In First Corinthians chapter eight. Turning back a page in my Bible. Notice this, taken up in verse 4. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is none other God but one. For though though there be... There be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, yea, there are, yea, that, excuse me, as there be gods, many and lords, many. But unto us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. There's only one God. Our forefathers, us Gentiles, second, uh, uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians tells us, in 2.11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, but that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now notice this. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's where our forefathers were. That's where our forefathers were. Totally in in ignorance, worshiping idols, 
and rushing headlong into hell. Turn with me to 1 John. First John chapter two. Taken up in verse twenty two. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? First of all, we can say right there. It doesn't matter who he is. He that denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. You say, well, maybe they don't know any better. Doesn't matter. They're still a liar. Why, why are they a liar? Because God said so. They're not telling the truth. He is an Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So the idea that somebody can know God and not know Christ is, is contrary to the Word of God. I don't care who, they, who, who it is that says so. By the way, I recently heard that a preacher told an individual in their congregation that the people in Romans chapter 1 were just disobedient children of God. I want to read you Romans 1, part of it anyway. The idea that these people are just disobedient children of God is totally unfounded according to the Scriptures. I question how a man can actually have any insight to the Word of God. I'm going to start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, somebody may get the wrong idea with this word, hold the truth. This word, if we were to translate it in our modern vernacular, it would be hold down or suppress the truth. It's not somebody that knows the truth. And they're not admitting it. It's, it's somebody who suppresses the truth. It's a liar. It's someone who confesses that Jesus is not the Christ. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. This is in nature. 
The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Every individual is without excuse for uh, knowingly admitting that God exists. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God to a lie into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even the women that did change the natural use and uh, into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. He, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. In other words, this person was told that reprobates were children of God. Can you imagine that? Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. In other words, people that do all those things, they deserve to die. That's from the adulterer, the sodomite, the murderer, and those who disobey their parents. They're worthy of death. They're worthy of death. And the idea that people can worship anything and still be of the Lord is foolish. I didn't do it while up there in First John, but in Second John, in Second John, verse nine, it says, "Whosoever transgresseth." and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. 
So you see, it is extremely important to believe the truth about Christ. If you don't believe the truth about Christ, you don't have God. You don't have God. Let's go to the, 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 the Gospel of John. John chapter 5. think I oh no wonder I'm in the gospel of Luke no wonder it didn't look right John 5:22 For the Father judges Judgeth, judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. So see, you, you can't disregard the Lord Jesus Christ and be one of the Lord's. You remember Jesus said, uh, recorded here in John also, unless you believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. So the idea that you can worship anything and still be alright is not scriptural. John chapter 10. John 10. I'll just read, start off reading verses 4 and 5. John 10, 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now what's that teaching us? That's teaching us that God's children are going to follow Christ and not somebody else. I never was around sheep. Well, I say I never was. Uh, we had a neighbor that had some sheep. And when I was in college, we had to, uh, I actually had to share a sheep one time. So I was around that much. But really, I never was 
uh, around sheep or things of that nature. And uh, when I was in Jerusalem in 72, I've mentioned this before, we were driving down the old city of Jerusalem in the tour bus. And on the other side of the street, cars were going in the opposite direction. And right in the middle of the street was a shepherd walking down and the sheep were following him in the midst of all that traffic. They followed him. Now, if I had gotten out there and told the shepherd, said, you go sit down and I'll lead the sheep on where you want me to take them, they wouldn't know where to go because they, they wouldn't, didn't know me. I was raised on a dairy farm. And uh, I knew each and every animal that we had. I knew their names. And I, all I had to do is just glance at them and I knew which cow was which. And uh, uh, I remember some of my cousins coming down from St. Louis one time and they said, well, how do you know those cows? How do you know their names? I said, well, I, I just do. After I got grown and moved off the farm and came back some six months later, I hardly knew some of the cows because <laughs> I wasn't around them that much. But I knew the cows. They knew me. They knew my voice. And I've told this experience before too, but someone out there in the uh, uh, internet land may never have heard this, but uh, we had a neighbor that was in the hospital and some of us uh, neighbors uh, took turns milking his cows for him. And one time it came around for me to go up there and milk uh, uh, Lindsay's, that's the man's name, Lindsay, Lindsay Breeden. But it come my time to go milk Lindsay's cows. We had a terrible time. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. They did a lot of kicking they went to the bathroom a lot. And they didn't want to stand still around me while I put the milkers on and things of that nature. Why? I was a stranger to them. They didn't know me. I was a stranger to them. But Jesus said, My sheep, my sheep hear my voice. I not only know the sheep, they know me. Aren't you glad that the Lord knows you by name? You're not a social security number. You are a, a person that has identification. Speaking of identification, uh, maybe this will make a point. I was talking to Brother Zach last night and they were, came back from when they came back from Nicaragua, they had to come in to the United States through Dallas, Texas. And they got off the plane and went through the uh, there to be inspected. And within five less than five seconds, the person on the other end uh, that was doing the inspecting said, Welcome, Zach. Facial recognition. He's in the database. 
They knew who it was. He stood there in less than five seconds. They knew him by name. Facial recognition. Beloved, God knows you better than that. He not only has your facial recognition, He knows your heart and soul. He knows who you are in every way. You're not just a number. You are a person that can be identified. You are the sheep. He knows you. He knows you. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine that is of my sheep. So not only do the sheep follow the shepherd, not only does the shepherd know the sheep, not only does the sheep know the shepherd, but the sheep will not follow the voice of somebody else. This does away with the idea that people can worship anything and still be one of the Lord's. Also, one other in John 15, verse 23. Jesus said, He that hateth, he that hateth me hateth my Father also. Doesn't matter who you are, if you hate Jesus, if you don't like Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you hate the Father also. You hate the Father also. Like I said, this does away with the idea that somebody can worship Buddha, Allah, or any other so-called God and still be saved. There are not multiple ways to God. Salvation is only in, by, and through the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've already quoted, Acts 4.12. There is none other name given among heaven among men whereby we must be saved other than Christ Jesus. And Paul said to these Galatians there in verse 8, Howbeit when ye knew not God, when you didn't know God before God had called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, Ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Beloved, that's where you and I fit in. Before God turned us around, we, we might have been raised in a home and heard about Jesus Christ. We might have been able to quote some verses out of the Bible and things of that nature. But we weren't serving Christ. We were serving self. We were serving something that by nature was not God. I had a fear of mom and daddy. I had a somewhat of a fear or fear or respect to some of my neighbors because 
I didn't want them to know how I was living. Some of my neighbors, I didn't care whether they knew or not because some of my neighbors aided and abetted me in my ungodliness. I'm talking about adult neighbors. But I didn't care what God thought. I was raised to go to the meeting house. And when I was very, very, very small, the old deacon would get me up to stand beside him to lead singing. Everybody bragged on me, and I really ate that up. When preaching started, I laid down on the front row and went to sleep. I didn't have any fear of God. I had some religion. But I didn't know God because I didn't know Christ. I didn't know Christ. And any service that I did, all of the leading singing that I did, was no service to God at all. It was a stench in his nostrils. Proverbs said, the prayer of the wicked is sin. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination unto God. I had a godly grandmother died of cancer. I remember going to the grave, weeping. I remember getting a rose and putting it in a little New Testament that I had there that my other grandmother had given me that was actually her son that the army had given him when he was in the army. But I also had four-leaf clovers for good luck in the same little New Testament. What religion was that? Pagan. Pagan. <laughs> Not that there was anything wrong in putting a flower off of the grave of a loved one, maybe in a Bible or something of that nature. But to think it has some religious significance is wrong. I thought it had some religious significance. I was no better than these Galatians that knew not God and did service unto them that was by nature no God. But now after that you have known God, and as I said before, are rather known of God. After we know God, in reality, we only know God because we were first known of God. I know you know this passage very well, but look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 
Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then in verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. Man never goes to God first. God always comes to man first. God always comes to man first. Also in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verse 16, Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I know that's directly applied to those who are were in the upper room with him that night, but it is also applicable to us. We didn't choose him first, he chose us. Why? Because Ephesians 1 4 says he chose us before the world began. He chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Much emphasis is placed on man believing and a lot of emphasis needs to be placed on man believing. But it's essentially important that one believe on Christ and it should be made apparently clear that God must first open the heart in new birth before man can believe. Yes, we need to stress believing. But we need to also make it abundantly clear that none will believe unless God first opens the heart. And if, God, if, none, if an individual does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no indication or evidence that God has opened his heart. He that believeth not John tells us is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. So, uh, I don't want to uh, let the unbeliever off, but I also don't want to give an individual the idea that they can believe without God first opening their heart. Dead men can't believe. Dead men can't believe. What is it that a dead man can do? Stink. That's all he can do. That's all he can do. Few ministers impress on their audience today that the reason the listener is not believing is because he's dead in sin. And that God hasn't opened his heart. Yes, we should preach 
And that God commandeth all men everywhere not only to repent, but they're, they're commanded to believe. We might argue about how much they should or shouldn't believe, but the point is, uh, there is a responsibility. But, we need to also impress the reason one is not believing is because God hasn't opened your heart. And the man may say, well, then I don't need to do anything. I just need to sit here and wait for God to open my heart. No. God doesn't say do that. No word does God say in His Word for a dead sinner to just sit and do nothing. You're to seek the Lord while He may be found. When is it that He can't be found after you're dead? See, we don't know who is and who is not a child of grace. But we do not need to allow anyone any excuse for not seeking the Lord. And it is essential that we are known of God. And it is essential that we obey the gospel. And that we not turn back into bondage and seek salvation by works. The law is indeed a weak and beggarly element. And the law cannot save. The law leads to bondage as we've seen over and over and over again. I think I have time. I want to read a couple of other quotes from Luther and then we'll close. Luther, when speaking of those who strive to be justified by the law, gave the following examples of endless and useless labor. Listen to this. Endless and useless labor to draw water with a sieve. You think you could draw water with a sieve? The poets tell of the daughters of Danaus which in hell did carry water in cracked vessels to a bottomless jar. Can you think of that? Carrying water in a cracked vessel to put it in a bottomless jar. In other words, that's how useless it is to try to seek salvation by the law. Also another, to count money out of an empty purse. To eat from an empty platter and drink from an empty cup. To seek strength and riches where there is naught but weakness and poverty. To lay yet more burdens on one that is weighed down and crushed with his load. To pay hundreds guinea when thou hast not a penny. To take the shirt off of a naked man. 
to oppress the sick and needy with more sickness and need. In other words, those some things I thought were a good description of how useless it is to seek salvation by works. Then another of Luther. Now who would have thought that the Galatians which had learned so sound and so pure a doctrine of such an excellent apostle and teacher, could be so suddenly led away from the same and utterly perverted by the false apostles. It is not without cause that I repeat this so often, that to fall away from the truth of the gospel is an easy matter. The reason is because even godly men do not sufficiently consider what a precious and necessary treasure the true knowledge of Christ is. Therefore they do not labor so diligently and so carefully as they should do to obtain and to retain the same. Indeed, whilst they are among faithful ministers and preachers, they can follow their words and say as they say, persuading themselves that they perfectly understand the matter of justification. But when they, that is, the faithful ministers, are gone, and wolves in sheep's clothing are come in their place, it happeneth unto them as did the Galatians, that is to say, they are suddenly seduced and easily turned back to the weak and beggarly rudiments. Yes, seeking the law for justification is a weak and beggarly rudiment. Though the law is good if a man use it lawfully. But we'll say more about this, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for calling us out of our ignorance and blindness and stupidity of worship. Thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and for His sacrifice for us. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for knowing us even when we did not know You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.